Hi, Maggie. Hi, Billy. How are you? I am doing quite well today. What have you been up to? Why does this sound so scripted? What do you mean? <laughs> um, Nothing scripted. I'm, I've been up to not much. I've been playing Gloomhaven every Monday, so that's been good. That's nice. How many players? Four players. That's the max for, for Gloomhaven, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unless you change the rules, but... No. We're doing four-player. It's been good, because we hadn't actually played that much before, like, everything shut down, so now we've been kind of playing more regularly. But it's been really fun. I'm, I really am having a hard time not discussing my secret objective. And every time I get someone in playing with alone, I'm like, oh, I really want to talk about my secret objective. And they're like, well, you can't. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely had players in my group who were more inclined to make it obvious. Yeah. And personally, I find it more exciting when it's not. No, I agree. I, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. But like, I'm just like waiting for someone to ask me so I can be like, okay, can I talk about it? But I'm glad that. Other people have self-control and won't want to talk about it? Yeah. I guess very mild Gloomhaven spoiler warning for the next two or so minutes. One of my secret objectives involved, like, doing a whole Wait, bunch of... Wait, I don't of... know if I want to know. Have you had people retire yet? No. But, oh. like, because, like, if your objective that you're about to describe could be an objective that someone else has, right? I'm not going to describe it in enough, in enough detail. Okay. Um, but one of my objectives involved doing a, a specific, like, subset of missions. Okay. So I really enjoyed the process of trying to convince the group casually to do the missions that I wanted to do to further my yes. secret objective. I have, like, similar things to you, but, like, I know one of, like, two of our listeners are in my Gloomhaven campaign. Yes. So I'm not going to discuss it at all. Not all three? Wow. Yeah, definitely. So Rachel? sad. So sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, I found it more fun to try to, like, casually convince people to do things which was one of my first objectives, as opposed to my current objective in Gloomhaven, which I cannot influence at all. Oh. So I just need to allow it to happen. And it's really interesting. But we also had players who were very blatant about what they were trying to do. And then it kind of turned the group into like a, well, if you want that, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I kind of, I like the idea that it's secret because like... It, if it's all secret, then people are doing things to, like, further their objective, but no one's discussing it. So, like, I don't know. I think it's more interesting to not understand people's motivations for wanting to, like, loot or wanting to, like, do other things. I don't I don't know. I only know my secret objective, so I don't really know what the other ones That's are. That's so fair. I've seen, like, yeah. seven or eight at this point. Yeah. Awesome. Because also, like, I have to keep track of it, like, on in my... Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know what, it, what if you always have to keep track of them. I assume you do, like... If there's something where it's like, do this thing, yeah, and the only way that you can do it is by being like, oh yeah, I did this thing, then are people going to be like, I don't believe you? I just Sharpie on my card. Oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have, I have like a note in my phone because I, I don't want people to like know when I'm recording. Yeah, that's so fair. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, what, are you, what have you been up to? As some of the people who listen who might be in the Discord or know me personally will know, my laptop died. Uh, so I finished editing the previous episode. Uh, Maggie knows this. Mm. I finished editing the previous episode. I uploaded it to, like, the interwebs. And then the next morning... And I did this a day ahead of time, which mm. is so interesting. I did this Saturday night. I normally upload Sunday evening. Sunday I went to turn on my computer, and it did not turn on. The hard drive had failed, lost all the data on it, and I was like, oh, 
Oh, no. <laughs> so I spent some time doing research, buying a new computer, and we're back. We're recording on my new machine, and we lost an episode. Which well, we might we... get back at some yeah. point. It just depends on how the data recovery goes. Uh, but that was my last two weeks. It was stressful. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of did suck. But, but the it, new laptop looks great. The new laptop is great. I'm really enjoying it. Should we also talk about Catanathon? We should. We should talk about Catanathon. This is coming out on Monday. Four days from now is October 16th. On October 16th, we're going to be participating in Catanathon. Do you want to explain what it is? You've done more about it, so... Yeah, so Catanathon is a charity marathon in the spirit of Desert Bus for Hope. Um, Desert Bus for Hope was... A marathon that involved the game Desert Bus, which is just you driving along a road. It's not a very exciting game, deliberately so. It's kind of a meme game. And people would just play it for hours and hours and hours to raise money for different causes. Or one cause. I don't actually know that much about Desert Bus for Hope. <laughs> uh, but Catanathon is us playing a better game than Desert Bus. Uh, we're playing Catan on repeat until people stop donating money. And all the money that's donated is going to go towards the Canadian Cancer Society for researching cancer. It's cool. We There's going to be different things you can activate when you donate money. There's going to be different prizes. I know that 401 Games is giving some prizes, which is a game store in Toronto. And the Guildhouse, a game store in Toronto, is also donating some prizes. So there's going to be some stuff you can win. It's going to be, it's going to be a grand old meme time. Yeah, it'll be fun. And that is on Friday, October 16th at 7 p.m., I believe it starts? Yeah, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, at least? Yeah, Eastern... Yeah. For sure. You can find more info if you go to Catanathon.ca. If you search Catanathon on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, mm. or Twitch. You can see a fun video of me breaking a chair on there. Yeah, it was delightful. Can I tell you something that I've never told you? Oh, God. Yes, I guess. So, last... You sat on that chair before I me. sat on that oh, chair. Oh, my God. And Lord. I could... You remember how you were like, I really don't trust this chair. Yeah. I had that feeling the whole time. And then I won the game and I got to go away and I was like, ah, oh, whatever. And then you sat down. Wow. Uh, but really? like, so the chair was like starting to break. Like some of the welding had come off. Yeah. And <laughs> I didn't deliberately do this. I just forgot by the time you replaced me. You could have been like, heads up, that chair is sketchy. But also, been. there's not really much. Like, as soon as I sat on the chair, I was aware this babe is going to go down at some point. Yeah. But if you. Like, push back at all. And you know how, like, you can, like, lean back on chairs on the back two legs? That's where the welding was weakening. So, when I was sitting, I was always very careful to be sitting kind of forward. Because then I was sitting right. in a way that kind of supported the welding. As opposed to sitting back in it. Yeah. Which makes the welding sad. Sorry, I for some reason I thought this chair... I remembered the chair being wooden. But it's even crazier. It was, like, a welded together chair yes. that broke. yes. Damn. And I I remembered sitting in it and being like, well, I don't trust this chair. Leaving, seeing you sit down, being like, I really don't trust... And then just going. <laughs> yeah. I've been kind of wanting to, like, post on, like, Toronto Buns or, or, sorry, Pals Trading Zone and be like, does anyone have a sketchy chair? And then, like, sitting on it during this Catanathon. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. But yeah, so tune in to Catanathon. It's going to be lots of fun. There's, like, a lot of fun donation tiers, like... It's so hard to describe the games. Like, well, Funny Bones, is that like a well-known game? I had never heard of Funny Bones beforehand, but Funny Bones, you're basically 
You have to hold your body in a weird position with someone else's body, which we're doing digitally. <laughs> yeah, because it's all going to be, everyone's going to be playing in their own home on Tabletop Simulator. So usually you have to hold a card. It'll say like nose to hand or whatever. So one person's hand has to touch the card on the other side. The person's nose has to touch it. Yeah. And somehow we're going to make that work. Digitally. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. What I'm most worried about is like getting to take a nap doing that nap and then like when it is my time again like are we just gonna have to like call people until they wake up yeah i think revealing a little bit behind the curtain i think we are going to have some people who are in like stage managerial roles who will be onboarding the guests before the guests join us because right. i think i'm not 100 percent sure it's confirmed but i think daryl andrews will be Jer- daryl andrews will be joining us for yeah. sure he's been very vocal about that but we're gonna have jonathan gilmore i believe one of the designers of dead of winter Ooh. so there's gonna be some some fun delightful people joining us also i feel like we could have like a nap cam like not actually because that would be so <laughs> <laughs> creepy but like when you go to sleep you have to like record it but let's not actually do that Tell you what, Maggie, you can record. No, I do not. I do not want that at all. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Anyway, what do you what do you want to talk about this episode? Uh, I we haven't actually done an intro yet. Yes, we have. We said hello, but I don't know where I'm putting the theme song. We said I said hi, Maggie. How are you? And then we just started talking. Let's just put the theme song in between there. Let's put it right here. All right. This is into Into the the Meepleverse. How many games do you want to talk about today? I want to talk about two games. Okay. I just have one game I want just to talk one? about. It's just one? It's not just one. <laughs> um, uh, you go. That was like an in-sync uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a sound that we're not supposed to make while recording a podcast that we did it's at the same fine. time. It's fine. I just edit most of them out. Yeah. It's just bad when one of us uhs when the other's is, other is talking, because then I can't edit the uh out. Yeah. I mean, I probably could, but I'm not good enough to do so that. So we're that addicted to saying, ah, uh, that someone else is speaking and we just have to be like, ah. Uh. Uh. <laughs> okay. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about Calico. Ooh, okay. Cute cat game. Cute cat game uh, by Kevin Russ with art by Beth Sobel. And we've talked about Beth Sobel before oh, yes. and how wonderful Beth Sobel is. Calico was a Kickstarter that shipped shipped to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, probably, oh, really? Probably less than a month I've had it. You've been talking about this game for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, I kickstarted it back in the day. I got fi- uh, I got five plays of it so far. Wow. So I've played it a, a good chunk. Um, and one thing that I want to talk about is... So uh, uh, let's do a little insight before we move on to what I want to talk about. I love it. I love your insight voice as well. Yeah, this is my insightful voice. <laughs> Uh, this is what I sound like when I am being insightful. So we never hear it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm going to talk like that for the rest of the episode. Okay, please don't. Please don't? Okay. <laughs> uh, so Calico is like a patterny game. How it's going to work is you're going to have this dual layer board uh, with a whole bunch of spaces for hexes. And you're going to be placing these hexes into the spaces to try to build different patterns or uh, different patterns based on the the like style of piece you put in or based on the color of the piece so there's six different colors and six different types of tiles so there's like a moroccan pattern there's stripes there's polka dots there's like ferns and little flowers and stuff Uh, and then i casually like stopped talking because two of them are little flowers and i didn't want to like 
admit that I don't know the actual <laughs> terms for them, which I did, I guess. <laughs> and then you have six colors. You got like pink and yellow. The colors don't matter. Yeah. You know, all right, all right. choose six colors. So what's going to happen is each turn, you're going to have two tiles that are in your personal supply. You're going to choose one and you're going to add it to your board anywhere you'd like. Then you're going to draft one from the center and there will always be three in the center. And you'll take one of them and you'll put it in your supply. Then you'll replenish and the next player will go. So in essence, it's always place one, draw one. Okay. All right, which is, is a pretty familiar concept. It, it feels a lot... Similar to something like Carcassonne, where you're drawing and placing. But in Carcassonne, you draw and then place. In this, you place and then draw, right? Easy. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to create different patterns. So there are three cats in the game, and the cats all want different patterns. So let's say that there's Tecaletti, the little kitty, and Tecaletti wants four stripes in a line or something. So you're going to have to try to collect stripes... And put them in a straight line. And once you've done that, then that cat is going to come to your quilt and lay down on your quilt and going to be worth some points. I love that. Now, weirdly, there are many, many Tecaletis. So you can, like, create four lines in a row and then do four lines again. And Tecaletti will come and lay down on your quilt again, getting you more points. Which thematically confuses me, but I also love it. It's more kitties. Yeah, I like that, too. But it's the same kitty. It's like, this is a type of kitty that will like this pattern. But it is a named kitty, <laughs> which is the weird part. Like, there's Millie, and there's Tecaletti, and there's Shop Cat, who's a cute little cat that has, like, a little twisted ear. Well, then it's like, the kitty is just like, I like this quilt so much, I don't want any other cats to go on those quilts, so I'm going to clone myself to make sure yeah. I am the only one who goes on these quilts. Yeah, I think I think cloning yeah, that's is a part, part of, of the, the game. <laughs> uh, I'll reach out to... Uh, the designer on Twitter and right. confirm. So you're trying to do that. You're also trying to get matches of colors. So if you get three colors of the same type touching each other, you're going to then get a button of that color. So I got three yellow pieces. I'm going to get the yellow button, which is shaped like a little moon. Cute. And I'm going to sew that into the quilt. Love and that's that. just worth three points. On top of that, you have three spaces on your board that are looking for, like, sets. So you might want... The sets are all, like, broken down with numbers. So the one hex might say A-A-A-A-B-B, which means around it, you want four of a kind and two of a kind. Oh, okay. And if you do that, you're going to get points. And you can do that either with color or pattern, which will be worth points, or both, which will be worth extra points. It has the feel, Maggie, of a roll and write. You know those roll and writes where you start off and you're like, wow, I have ambition. Yes. And then you start playing, and you're like five rounds in, and you're like, oh, God, everything is fire. <laughs> <laughs> this world is a disaster. It feels like that. But there's cats. Yes. It's cute. It's wonderful. But late game, every move feels like you're, you're letting something go. Oh, no. So that you can do something else. And it's really good, and it's really rewarding. But I don't know how to be good at it yet. How many people, how many you played it with? Two? So I've played it a lot with two. And I've played it once or twice with three. Yeah, it's just it's just really, really tough. It's fun to watch, like, the exact tile that you need get drawn on your turn. And then watch the other player draft it. And they don't really need it. They just didn't know what to take. <laughs> like, it feels... This is a game that feels good through feeling bad. Okay. Like, you know those, those moments where you're totally. like, Oh, why? Why couldn't it have gone my way? Mm -hmm. The thing that I wanted to talk about... 
is in the rulebook of Calico. There is a scoring example. And the scoring example is, I think, it, I think the person's name that's written on the score sheet is Ari. A-R-I. Okay. And Ari scores 73 points. That is a lot of points. <laughs> I have not scored nearly that. I think I've gotten close. My closest was 68. Maybe it's just there to like make you feel bad. I like- think so. So I think they, I think they were like, ha ha ha, <laughs> they'll never do this. <laughs> so yeah, Ari makes me feel bad. Thank you, Kevin Rust. Thank you, Beth Sobel, for making this wonderful game. I really love it. I think you're gonna like it. It plays in like an hour. It's that nice, like, kind of lighter weight, but still really mm. strategic, really solid game. No, I. It sounds great. I like. I really like the art in it, but didn't really know that much about the actual game. So it sounds super interesting. How much did it cost? Not that we should talk about money, but. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. It like that's the thing when you kickstart. You're like, oh, right. I paid for this so long ago. Mm. So like, I kickstarted it. There's like a little Kickstarter exclusive cat in it. Shop cat actually. This was a while ago, and shipping was involved, so I don't know what I paid for it. I kind of like that when you, like, kickstart a game or, like, pre-order a game, and then it arrives, and it's just, like, a gift from your past self. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, I do think it is selling in Canadian shops for about 33 base game oh, right now. that's, like, so... Because I was going to say, it seems like a smaller box, so I feel like it'd be a pretty reasonable price point. Yeah, it's, it's not, like, ticket-to-ride size. It's not a tiny box, but... Mm. Yeah. It's about the size of uh, Laser Maze. <laughs> Billy is pointing at a game that no one else can see? Or are you just telling me this? I don't know yet. <laughs> okay. Depends how I feel when I edit. Laser Maze Jr., actually. <laughs> oh, yes. It's about the size. Uh, if you're looking for an easy comparison, the box is about the size of Laser Maze Jr. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the game I want to talk about is one that I haven't played. Okay. It's just one that I'm excited about. Let's talk about it. It's Alma Matter. Okay, yes. So how much do you know about it? I have watched a review of Alma Mater. I watched Man vs. Meeple's review. Okay. And I love the team involved in it. Yeah, okay, that's what I... So, I want to start by... Sorry, I want to talk about... First of all, the art... The box itself just already kind of looks like Coimbra. Yep, yep. So, and the art is, like, so Coimbra-y, and it's the same artist. It's Chris Quillums. So, same artist as Coimbra. He's also done, like, literally a million games, like Azul. I looked him up. He's just done, like, so many things. So, popular artist, the art's very, very similar style to Coimbra. Yeah, yeah. And two of the designers are the two designers that did Coimbra. I think it's just, like, the successor to Coimbra. Right? I, I think it is, like, blatantly, like, the spiritual... Yes. The next one. Yeah. Uh, and who, who's the design team? You said two of. Okay, so, I have a lot to say about the design team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is it Flaminia? Yeah. Okay, so it's Flaminia, Virginia... Okay, Flaminia, Brazzini, Virginio, Gigli... Stefano Luperdo and Antonio Tinto. I am so sorry if I pronounced those names wrong. So it is Flaminia and Virginia are the two that did Coimbra, and I did not realize that Flaminia was a woman and that Coimbra yes, has yes. is fifty percent a woman designer, which is amazing. So I was so excited about that because Coimbra is like one of my favorite games. And so yeah, so she is one of the four designers on Alma Mater. And they're just, like, a design team, like, these Italian designers that have designed, like, a lot of awesome games, like Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Yeah. Coimbra, they've got a bunch of titles under their belts. Uh, actually, so these four didn't... I think three of these four did Lorenzo Il Magnifico, but not all four of them. Yeah. But, yeah, so I was really excited about this design team. And I was just really excited that there was a woman designer on it. Yeah, That's awesome. absolutely. So, I don't know why, every time I want to say this... 
game's name, I want to say Alma Mater, even though I know it's Alma Mater. <laughs> anyway, so Alma Mater, if you didn't know, means like where you went to school or college or university, that'd be your Alma Mater. So the theme of this game is school, but I assume like Coimbra, the theme is not going to matter. It's just going to be about getting points. Yeah, like honestly, I've been thinking for a while that I really wanted to play a game where I was like the headmaster of a school. I was like, that's the theme I'm looking for. Oh, you're joking. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, because ah. also I don't really think that, I don't know what you are. I think that just like the components are like called teachers and students and books. Because yeah, so component wise, if you uh, looked at the review, books are like the main component other than like, oh, it's a worker placement game, I should say. It's a worker placement game, which is really exciting because we love worker placement. I know Billy loves worker placement. Oh, yeah. But other than the workers, the components are going to be these different color books. And you're going to have a little bookshelf that you can put the books on. I think that's going to be like the dice pants of this game. Although I, <laughs> I think dice pants are still better. But, but yeah, apparently the books are really, really nice. I've also I pre-ordered this game. It came out in August, but I haven't seen it like in stock anywhere yet. Oh, you pre-ordered it? So I did pre-order it. I'm so thrilled about I that. <laughs> <laughs> so I am so excited about that game. Anyway, that's just the beginning. So there's plastic books and workers. Those are like the main components of it. But let's talk a bit about the game. Please. So one thing about it, I know we were actually just talking about this with Coimbra, that we wish there was like a bigger pool of nobles that you got to pick from. Right off the bat, this there's this pool of students. It's a variable setup for like everything else, but you're always going to be picking from the same pool of students. So I think that's okay. going to be like similar. So it starts with a card draft where you'll get to start with certain books or certain, like, extra money or whatever. Actually, I'm pretty sure that money exists in it, but also books are kind of like the main currency that you're going to be using in it. So you have your own personal board where you're going to be, like, where your bookshelf will be, where when you acquire students, you're going to be adding them to your board, and then that will say kind of how many books you can have in your bookshelf. I haven't played this game, so I might be getting some things wrong. I've just tried to, like, look at at the rules as much as possible. So yeah, you've got your own personal board where you're going to be adding students, and then the main board is going to have spots where you can acquire students, and the students are kind of laid out where, like, in the first column, it's going to be the cheaper, more expensive to get students in, like, the further right columns. Cool. And there's also teachers that you can acquire, and when you acquire teachers, they're, like, quite expensive to get, but then they're just kind of, like, extra actions that you can do on your turn once you've acquired them. They don't actually go on your board, though. Your board is just for your students. And in on your student area, there's, like, two rows. And at the end of the game, you're going to multiply how many students you have in your first row with how many students you have in your second row. It's kind of like a thief-to-goods situation happening there. <laughs> so something about the worker placement of this game, and maybe you can help me with this, because I was trying to... I know I've played games that use this mechanic before, but I just couldn't think of them. But it's like the first person to use a spot will put one meeple. If someone else wants to use that spot, they have to put two meeples. If someone else wants to use that spot, they're going to have to put three meeples. Oh, so like the like a variable increasing cost of yes. an action. Uh, like Sagrada That's does that I, a little. So Sagrada is what I was thinking. Also like kind of Architects of the West Kingdom, but like not really because you just want to put more of your own meeples on there. Yeah. Yeah. Sagrada is the first one that jumps to my mind as yeah. the first time you do something, it is cheaper. Yeah. Put it on the spot. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, I, I also just, know that I, I've played games that same. do that. I had such a hard time. I was trying to think of... And Sagrada was actually the only one I could think of, too. But that caps at two. But this yeah, one, yeah. you can go higher than that. But there are a lot of games that were just like, if you want to do a better action, like 
Feast for Odin, you're going to have to spend more meeples. But this one isn't even a better action. It's just to do that action. The same action. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to like interject really quickly here. Because I just played Sagrada again on Monday. And I found it so interesting. Because the first time I really thought about it is that those actions that make it e- easier to like break, break manipulate dice and stuff are objectively better at the end of the game. Definitely. Just, but if you wait, they're more expensive. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, it was just like a little... This is a cool part of Sagrada. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like in Sagrada you're always like, oh, I really don't want to use these abilities because I want to get these like points, but aren't they worth like one point at the end? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, just use them. So yeah, that's going to be your main way of getting points is going to be recruiting teachers and students to your board. But there's also other actions on the board that are just going to like give you points. Or of course, there's like a track that you advance on because yes. like, these designers love advancing on tracks. Temples. Yeah. And the track is like variable. It's I, th- I believe it's just one track that you're gonna put three cards on, and it's gonna give you different stuff. And there's like one action that you can take that's like either a black cog or a green cog, and the green cog just lets you move up on one space on the track for free. But the black cog will let you move up three spaces, but you have to pay a cost for each space. That's that's just like good design. Ugh. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for this game. And yeah, so there are some spaces on the board that are kind of just like these spaces will always be here, and then there's spaces to like acquire the students and teachers. But yeah, it seems like a very point salady. Yeah, I love that. So I just looked it up, and you are in fact the headmaster recruiting. You, yes, you are. Yes. So I, I know that's the game you've been wanting, Billy. But also, oh. like, I was watching this review that really. I did not realize that you were the headmaster. I don't think headmasters, like, buy students. Or maybe they do. Um, uh, well, you kind of do. Like, if you think about it, giving away scholarships and stuff, you are... True. And even through the application process, you are seeking the best students. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, that is just a brief overview of what I've gathered from this game that I have not actually played yet, but I'm super excited for and have already ordered. It seems heavier than Coimbra, in my opinion. It also yes, seems I more agree. economic than Coimbra. I mean, Cormor does have, like, the currencies and stuff, but, I don't know, Cormor just has this, like, beautiful, like, everything working together, dice drafting, magnificence. Yeah, Cormor is very simple, and honestly, once you're familiar, very fast. Yes, totally. And this one just seems, like, a lot heavier, definitely could be, like, an analysis paralysis, but it seems really, really great. But yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. Awesome. Just while we're talking about things that aren't out yet, there's two expansions that i just saw announced Ooh, okay. that i'm pumped for there's a new teotihuacan expansion coming out of course there's a pipeline expansion coming Ooh, out really yeah so like the world is good to me <laughs> i just walked by someone playing pipeline yesterday and it really stressed me out that game is so stressful <laughs> i love it but it's a two-hour panic attack yeah okay. fair <laughs> enough i love those economic games where you're like how do i turn this into success yes where you just have some money and you're like i don't know what to do how do i get more money the thing that's upsetting like not upsetting but the thing that makes pipelines so difficult is i think it's just so unforgiving oh like if you make a mistake it's just like well hopefully someone else makes a mistake or everyone else makes a mistake and that's as devastating as the one that you made maggie i gotta get you to play food chain magnet when you're playing games again but that one, okay, so that one I want to play. I want you to teach a group of people that have never played before and then we'll all play it together because it's like very... And then I'll f*** off. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. And then I'll go away. But yeah. Maybe I'll just bleep that. If you, yeah. 
But yeah, if you because if you play it, you're just gonna win. It's like a four hour game. I mean, I'm still down for that. So so my initial thought is to when I'm teaching people because yes, unless I deliberately throw the game or go for like an incredibly janky strategy, if I'm teaching three people the game, they don't make an optimal play on their first turn. I'll probably yeah. win. But my my kind of idea of how to play the game and how to teach the game is to teach the game play four turns start over and then explain to people how and why they've already lost oh wow and then play the game that's a good idea because i think with that knowledge you'd be able to make informed and good decisions yeah like even when you play through the ages at least in the a new story of civilization like the newer edition it says if this is your first time playing only play till the end of the second age because like by that point you'll have known what the game is like but you've like made a bunch of mistakes that you already want to go back and fix yeah and the game is like very very long a so. brass birmingham has a, a similar mechanic in it that i've never used but there's a way to score at the end of the first half of the game oh okay for like first time players who don't want to commit to the full play and they want to like see how they did right yeah so wait what are, what are we saying that again Sorry, just what game? I we got so we were like this game and then this game. What was the original game we were talking about? We talked about the pipeline. Oh right, okay, pipeline. pipeline. <laughs> yes. Well, what's the expansion bring? I have no idea. Did you buy it? Not yet. But will you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't played pipeline a lot, but I like it. Oh, I like it too. I definitely and, like it. And like for me, a big part of my collection is if I can add more flavor and more. Uh, like a more involved experience to my board game collection mm-hmm. without adding a new box to my shelf, I will probably do that. Yeah. Is there space in the pipeline box? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I want to talk about In Too Deep. Do you know In Too Deep? No. It is a game that was on Kickstarter. It finished last night as of recording this. So it finished last week as of listening to this. Unless you're listening to this way later in case, hey, so, <laughs> for, for all I know, In Too Deep's already out. I, it's already in my hands and whatnot. But Have you it, played it? I did. Oh, okay. So, it is a Kickstarter game that I was following very closely. I know some of the people involved in it. And, like, I've interacted quite positively with the company that was producing it. And because of all of that, and because of hearing about this game, I was very excited to watch the Kickstarter. And... What Into Deep has done on Kickstarter, it's designed by uh, Joshua Capel and Daryl Chow. And what it does is it creates kind of an experience that I have not really had in games before. And it looked like it would offer that. And then I got to play it and it really does offer that. So I'm going to walk you through how the game works and explain why I was pumped about the Kickstarter. Okay? Okay. And yeah, I have one play of this. It should be out and in people's hands uh, late 2021. Okay. Into Deep is a game where you are all working as people who are attempting to foil this, like, syndicate, this criminal group's master plan. So, how the game works and thematically what it's going to do is each turn... Whoa. Stop. World building. Okay, okay. I really thought this was going to be like an ocean theme. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. I get that. So world building. This is a cyberpunk universe. Okay. So all of the characters in it have all these like cybernetic enhancements. You got like computer chips in your brain and stuff. 
And each of these characters is good at something else. Like there's a character who's the persuader who has cybernetic vocal cords that allows them to persuade people. And like, I think it's called like a harmonic voice box or something like that. And you are attempting to foil the criminal syndicate's plans. How you're going to be doing that is each turn you are going to hack into the brain of one of the criminals and influence the decisions that they make to try to push your plot. So you have a few things. You have... It's like Netrunner Inception. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, So you have, in your hand, you will always have a story card, uh, a story mission, and you will always have a side crime. Side crimes are basically small things. Like, you want to go rob a small bank or whatnot. It's like you have this, like, main crime that you're trying to do, but you're like, but I also still... I don't want to give up on the petty crimes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I need to, like, go jaywalking some stuff. (laughs) But the side crimes are, as I think you can probably guess, quite easy to do compared to the story crimes. Right. All crimes are going to get you... Oftentimes, they'll get you dilemma cards, which I'm going to talk about shortly, and they'll get you evidence. You'll gain and you'll get to file evidence. And... What, why all that matters is something I'll explain shortly. Let's talk about the board. The board is a big pie. You got eight slices of pie, and each of the eight slices is an area. Okay. So you have, like, the Zin Bazaar. You have the blocks. You have these different themed areas. And interestingly, I think there's the towers as well. Interestingly, the crimes that you're doing are linked thematically to the area. So if you want to kidnap someone... From the towers, obviously, you're going to have to do that in the towers. Okay. But it's not, you don't always kidnap from the towers, or do you always kidnap? Uh, The kidnapping storyline does involve the towers. Okay. So each of the areas is thematically linked, but the board is module, so the slices of pie can go in any Mm -hmm. way that you'd like. So you have the number of criminals, I think it's six, five or six, uh, criminals that are traveling around the world. You have eight items that are traveling around the world. And you have one, like, police guy who's the the sentinel. And the sentinel is going to, like, stop criminals and escort criminals. And oftentimes, if you want to accomplish a crime, the sentinel can or can't be there, depending on how bold you okay. are. So certain things, like, the sentinel needs to be away from you. You also have these blockades that will move around the board and block access from one zone to another. So normally, each slice of pie is adjacent to each slice of pie beside it okay right like if you're standing in a pie you could walk to the next <laughs> slice or the other slice but you can't really walk across the pie right okay so the blockades are going to block the adjacency so that you can't just walk from zone a to zone b how do you get to zone b well the sentinel could actually bring you through the oh, blockade okay. through by escorting you certain special actions will allow you to do stuff each of the slice of pies has its own special action that can trigger Does that all make sense so far? Yep. Cool. So on your turn, you will hook into a criminal. Now, this could be a criminal that's available. It could be a criminal that someone else is hooked into. But if I'm hooking into a criminal, Maggie, that you are already in the brain of, I have to give you intel to take that away. Okay. After you hook into a criminal, you'll then gain some grip with both of those criminals. And grip just represents kind of how much control you have over this individual. If I spend a lot of time in the mechanic's brain, I'm going to get really good at manipulating the mechanic and getting them to do what I want. Mm. So at a certain threshold, you unlock that character's special action. So you want to kind of go for the same characters more than once. So then your turn starts. And on your turn, you're going to get two actions. You can complete 
as many side crimes as you'd like, but you only have one in hand usually. And then at the end of your turn, if you satisfy the conditions, you can complete the story crime in your hand. Now, the story crimes all are on, like, linear plots. So there's level 1s, level 2s, and level 3s. So if I have card A1 and I satisfy the requirements, I can complete it. Okay. And since it's a story crime, I have a choice. I can do the more criminal thing or the less criminal thing. My favorite themed card, the options were imply violence and perform violence. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I really liked that wording. So let's say I imply violence. This is going to get me less points, but it's going to get me more evidence. But if I perform violence, I'm going to get more points and less evidence. Okay. After I've done A1, anyone who has A2 can now start to complete A2. Oh. Because the stories are plots. But you won't necessarily get A2. Correct. Yeah. Because you're just drawing from the deck. And you can draw a 1, 2, or a 3. Yeah. Like, I'm obviously not going to draw a 3 at the very beginning of the game. Yeah. Because the 1s and 2s aren't completed. Right. But you can pick what you draw. It's like You can, stuff. yeah. Okay. It's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And the choice there is really interesting. Let's talk about why, what dilemmas are. Because okay. I did talk about those. And let's talk about evidence. Okay. So, when you're filing evidence, you have, like, this big plot that you're attempting to foil. At the end of the game, based on player count, you're going to want a different set of evidence in the the evidence area. But evidence is all filed face down. So I know what I'm contributing. There are a few things that you can file face up to, to get benefits. Uh, but for the most part, evidence is filed face down. Now, if at the end of the game, we have enough of the correct evidence, then the criminal's plot is foiled. The, the big syndicate plot is foiled. And we'll talk about what that means in a moment. Uh, but if we haven't, it's the, their plot has succeeded. And both of those have ramifications on the game. But the evidence that you use, let's say I use a lot of, I don't remember what the evidence is called. I think there's money. So let's say there's okay. a lot of money. We find a lot of money that the criminals have been moving. And we're like, oh, well, we found all this money. So you must be, you must be bad people. Money is then going to be worth a lot of points for the evidence that you have, but didn't file. Oh. Because you might gain three evidence and file two of them. That leftover evidence is like tokens that you're collecting to score points at the end of the game. Okay. So you're kind of trying to make sure that that happens, but make sure that you have the best evidence. Right. Sound good? Yeah. Dilemma cards. Every time you do a crime, you're going to get at least one dilemma card. A dilemma card is going to have extra points on it in some way. So that might be that I get three money tokens at the end of the game. This card is, like, really good. But it gives me seven... I forget what it's called. Like, corruption? So I have seven corruption now. Uh, If I draw more dilemma cards, I'm going to get more potential things that will score me points, but gain more corruption. At the end of each of the, like, main chunks of the game, you can keep half of your cards and discard half of your cards. So you can kind of manage your corruption that way. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the game, we are going to find out who was the most corrupt among us. Out of everyone, who went, I'm doing air quotes now, in too deep. Oh, okay. So the player who went in too deep, because these corruption cards are worth a ton of points, but the player who went in too deep is going to lose points equal to their corruption value. Wait, so you want to be corrupt, but you just don't want to be the most corrupt. Correct. Okay. So you're going to lose points equal to your corruption value. So if I, I, in my game, I had 31 Corruption value, which is a lot. I was very corrupt. (laughs) But it was my first time playing. How else are you going to play it, right? So 
31 corruption, which means that I would lose 31 points. Only if we foiled the criminal's plot, the syndicate plot. So if that's foiled, which happens more often than not, the most corrupt player will lose all their corrupt points equal to their corruption. But if that is not foiled, then that criminal suffers, or that player suffers no penalty for going in too deep. Okay. So at a certain point in the game, like everyone can early game collect all these corruption cards. But so are you all trying to do the same thing? You are all trying to contribute evidence to the same spot. Theoretically, all of you, except for one of you, is trying to make sure that you foil the syndicate's plans. Because at the end of the day, there's only going to be one player who has the most corruption. Right. Usually. That might not actually be true. You might be tied. Yeah. But most of the players are definitely going to want to foil the plot. Because if you don't foil the plot, that player is going to get all those extra victory points and no negative. Right. Interesting. Like, when I... So... The, the plot wasn't foiled when I played. So I suffered no penalty for having all that corruption. Did you win? I did. Nice. If I had... Uh, so, like, I had 100 points. The second place had 84. If it had been foiled, which was one token away... Yeah. I would have lost 31 points and I would have ended with 69. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. <laughs> it's... This game's incredible, Maggie. It's so rich and thematic. Your decisions are so incredibly interesting. Uh, how you're trying to manipulate the city is interesting. I didn't talk a lot about that, but I mentioned that you have actions, you have those criminals, yeah. and you have all those items. So, like, you're trying to get items, move to specific areas to perform certain parts of the crime. Uh, the storylines are cool. The side crimes are cool. It has so much player interaction because I'm trying to set up the city for a certain thing. So are you. Mm-hmm. And we're very often trying to do different things. It's really rich and really interesting uh and i am so pumped to play it it sounds really cool because it sounds like you're kind of working on the same like you're using the same materials and you're like working towards the same goal but it's like not cooperative yeah it is like decidedly not cooperative but there's this collaborative element that's interesting the special powers are interesting but really i think the the heart and soul of this game is the storylines and that advancing plot and how you get to choose how corrupt you want to be, how much evidence you get. Because you're going to be filing a lot less evidence if you're playing super corrupt. Right. And you're going to oftentimes... So, like, when you do the non-corrupt actions, you'll, like, all often gain three file two. And when you do the corrupt actions, you might gain two file two. So you're not building that pool of tokens that's worth points at the end of the game when you're being corrupt. Right. Is it obvious when someone is going, like, when someone's taking the corrupt route or no? It's not always obvious. Like, it's very clear, oh, I, my options were imply violence or perform violence, and I performed violence. It's very clear because you see me drawing those cards. Right. But since you draw so many cards, and then you only keep half of them, some of those cards don't actually even provide corruption. Right. They're like low-scoring cards that don't make you more corrupt. And some of them are high-scoring cards that make you very corrupt. So it's not super obvious because i don't know what cards you have right there's also a mechanic in the game the slice of pie the area on the map that has uh, that's called the blocks uh it has a an an action where you can challenge someone to uh like compare corruption and so i would show you my cards you would show me your cards and the player who has the most corruption has to give two points to the other player oh, and then lose a card. 
So there is that way in the right. game of just keeping somebody who's going too corrupt in check. Right. Seems like the theme really comes through. The theme comes through so well. And those slice of pie actions, each time you activate one, you're going to cycle the heat. So you're doing the action of the area, which means now, uh, let's say, I, I think the heat are like these automated turrets. <laughs> they come to the area to make sure that nobody does that again. Okay. And three of them will come to the area, which is basically a counter. For the next three times an area is activated, the blocks can't be activated. So you can't just repeatedly do the same action over and over again. It sounds so cool. It's very cool. The last thing I want to talk about about it is once you reach a certain threshold of grip with a criminal, you gain extra actions with that criminal. So you're really rewarded for going after one criminal hard. And some of the level three crimes really need extra actions because they're very elaborate. Like you're not just going to draw a level three card and be like, oh, that's already true. That's just not oh, okay. going to happen. But that could happen with a level one card? Yeah, yeah. So you're going to need to, like, really set some stuff up. And as you... Are all the cards visible that you can draw or no? Like, they'll become visible throughout the game? Uh, all those storyline cards are actually face down. Oh, okay. So you don't know what you're getting. So, like, I draw a level three card and I'm like, well, I really need to do this. I have a lot of grip with the mechanic. So it's like, well, now I can try to make it happen with the mechanic and spend grip to gain extra actions. Right. Okay. But those extra actions must be done with the mechanic. Uh, it, it's really cool. I, one of the things that I love about it so much is how you spend several turns trying to build towards a big turn. Because you're trying to set things up. And that's one of the things that I find most rewarding in games is the process of, okay, well, I can't do much now. But what can I do in a few turns? Yeah. Is there any situation where that big turn just will never happen? Absolutely. But, like, the side crimes are quite easy. Right. So it's quite rare, I think. If you put your two actions towards getting a side crime done, you're probably going to get that side crime done. Right. Uh, I did have one big action, a big turn. My last turn of the game, I had taken a, like, special uh, ability that allowed me to draw two extra side crimes. So I had three side crimes in my main crime, my storyline. And my story one, I was looking at it, I was like, I get four actions here because I got lots of grip. I can't make this happen. It's just not going to happen. People moved things around mm. that I'd been setting up and they ruined my life. <laughs> so I was looking at the three side crimes. And I could make one of, one of them was already set up, which was nice. And each of the side crimes kind of changes the board a little bit when you do it. So I had one that was like, so you need to be in an area, and the area across from you on the pie has to be completely empty. And that was already true. So I was like, well, I can do this one. Which then, it moves you to the other side. Which allowed me to do the next one. And then I could spend my action setting up the third one. And I was like, yeah, so this is what I'm doing. And then I trigger all three of these. <laughs> and everyone was like, wait, what? <laughs> And, like, setting up those big turns and having those extra mm. actions that you spend just feels good. Mm. Wow, side crime combo there. Yeah, yeah. It was it was lucky because I wouldn't have won without that. Oh, wow. Did that get you all your corruption? It, it got me more corruption. Right. <laughs> but it also just, like, got me tons of tokens and mm. points and stuff. It sounds very cool. It is lovely. I was excited about it from the conversations I'd had before I played it. Mm. But then... Their Kickstarter was awesome. Lots of cool stretch goals. Uh, Burnt Island Games handled it so well. They were in these, they were like in the comments all the time, building this like lovely little community experience. Mm. And so cool stretch goals, good communication. And then I played the game and it was 
Like, it was lit, Maggie. When I'm did you play so the game? pumped. I played it on Tabletop Simulator. Oh, okay. But it is so good. And, like, anyone who's interested, I'd highly recommend, like, you go to Kickstarter, you check it out. I think you could pre-order it there if yeah. you wanted to. But it is so, so cool. I can't wait to play your copy when it arrives yeah, and yeah, the yeah. pandemic's over. Well, it's it, end of 2021. That's yeah, when it's yeah. coming out. Exactly. Right? So, so Kickstarter is really good right now because you're like, well, I can't play games now anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, and the Kickstarter version has like minis for all the characters. Oh, wow. Which are just so cool. So that won't be available in the regular? I don't believe so. I think it's standees in the regular. Ooh. Yeah. Like this is... It's such a unique experience. Like, those mechanics coming together, the way they tell the story, is something that I haven't really experienced mm. that way ever. Yeah. So, I'm really I'm really pumped. I think this game is very good. I can't wait to play it. So, that was In Too Deep. Yeah. Okay, do you have a rule you got wrong? So, I don't today. Okay, yeah, I do. Oh, all right. <laughs> it's another cartographer's rule. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Yeah. I know. I'm worried I've gotten it wrong, too. So, so you know if you can't draw a thing, that you draw one by one anywhere yeah. of that type. No, it's any type. It's of that type. No, it's not. It's any type only when you can't draw the thing on a ruins. If you can't draw on a ruins, you get a one by one anywhere of anything. If you can't draw a thing, period, you get a one by one anywhere of that thing. Are you sure? Yes. Because it blew my mind. I... I... I still don't... I don't believe you. You don't believe me? I was watching a stream, and they were like, yeah, so I get a one-by-one one of anything. And I was like, I don't... Is it anything? He was like, yeah. And then he showed me the rule book, and then he showed me that the rules are different whether it's a ruin or non-ruin. You still don't believe me, eh? I'm looking it up right now. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that's my rule I got wrong. Sounds like it's your rule you got wrong, too. Well, I didn't know it was, but... Okay, let's just see. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 Maggie's swiping. She's hunting. Are you in the rule book already? Yep. She's looking. She's looking. If a player cannot legally draw any of the available shapes, they must instead draw one by one square anywhere on the map and fill up with the chosen terrain type. No! Devastating. Devastating, yeah. But okay. it's very, it's specifically, it's an exception when it's a ruins. Right. Where you get a one by one of anything. Okay, interesting. Definitely have also played that wrong. So you've been doing the one-by-one one of anything, and I've been doing the one-by-one one of the specific thing in both scenarios. Oh. So we've both been doing it wrong. In different ways. Differently. <laughs> but I actually think that my way is more of a mess up, because like it actually gets to a point where you kind of want to not be able to yeah, fill things yeah. in, because then you can just do whatever Your way makes you want. it easier, my way makes it harder. Yeah, totally. Uh, okay, I have a rule I got wrong. An- another one, I guess. <laughs> Uh, actually, it's not not even a rule I got wrong. It's just someone told me that I made a mistake when I was explaining Arkham Horror. Oh, And wrecked. I've decided that this is just going to be something like I'm going to find a way to bring up Arkham Horror card game in every every, every single time. This one's like such a small minor thing. But when I was explaining it, I was talking about the chaos bag where you pull a modifier out and they're like, whatever, ne- negative one, negative four, positive one. Yep. And there's yep. also an auto fail token. And there's also like an auto win token. But there's not actually an auto win token. It's like an elder sign. And it's not necessarily an auto win because this game would never let you just automatically win something. It's just normally something good. Like you'll get to, so it'll be like plus one for every clue that you have on your card, which is great, but sometimes you just don't have any clues, and that auto win, you actually don't win. 
Okay. So some characters will have, like, the, the Elder Sign means you automatically win, but most characters are like, this Elder Sign gives you, like, plus one for every exhausted enemy at your location. Okay, but but I imagine... So I've never played this game. Yeah. I imagine it feels like an auto-win. Yes. Because based on how bad that bag is... Yes. I'm not expecting that you would make a ton of choices where you're like, I'm gonna go do this and then hope I draw the plus one. Yes. No, right? totally. Like, if you're you d- gonna do actions that you can succeed if you don't get negative. When you want to do something, you want to you want to usually be up by like at least three, I would say. Or if you want like a guarantee, you want to be up by at least four. But then sometimes you just pull the auto fail and yeah. sucks to suck. So my expectation is that. I think it would almost never happen where you would pull that elder sign and fail. Yeah, no, totally. But it's not necessarily an auto win. Anyway, that was the, I guess, explanation I got wrong from a past episode two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> what is your nerd adjacent musing? My nerd adjacent musing is The Boys on Amazon oh, Prime. Oh, it's The Boys! Yeah. Okay. Well, we just talked about the boys. We did just talk about the boys. Is that why you asked me where I was in it? Well, I, I wasn't really going to spoil things here anyway. Yeah, I think we should do spoilers anyway. three. Free, sorry. The boys is an Amazon Prime show that I have been really enjoying? Question mark? Yeah. I don't think it's the best show in the world. It's definitely not going to... It's definitely not in my top 10 or 15 TV shows. But I have been enjoying the experience... I've been enjoying that it is out weekly so that I can talk about it as it comes out, as opposed to just binging it and forgetting it, which is something that I tend to do with TV shows that are released as bingeable. It's about superheroes existing in the world and what humanity would actually probably do with superheroes existing in the world. Totally. It's gruesome, it's violent, it's disgusting, it's horrendous. And, like, I'm really enjoying that take because we get a lot of the romanticized superheroes are the best. Mm. Oh, superhero versus supervillain. This is not impacting the lives of every single person around it. Mm. The MCU kind of started to talk about that in Civil War and when they did the Sokovia Accords and everything. But it's still, I think, a highly romanticized version of superheroes that just wouldn't exist. Mm. Uh, And The Boys is kind of taking cynicism and turning it up to 11... And talking about how these people abuse power. They abuse their power in violent ways. They abuse their power in sexual ways. They, like, imagine living in a world where you can do anything and no one's ever told you no. Like, that person is going to be trash. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think the show is quite good. If you decide to watch it, huge trigger warning for violence. Huge trigger warning for sexual assault. Uh, It's it's quite disturbing. Mm -hmm. And I don't... Like, I don't necessarily think it does it in the best way. Like, I think there I think there are actually a lot of issues with this show. Plot issues, writing issues, style issues, uh, performance issues. But on the whole, I have been enjoying it quite a bit. I agree. I like it a lot, too. And it's interesting for all those ways. It's like you always see the superheroes in this, like, romanticized, but they're kind of, like, working under the law. But, like, this is, like, the superheroes are, like, owned by a huge corporation... Anyways, I don't want to spoil any of it. Also, I actually just want to ask you this because I've been wanting to ask someone this. Because you're watching it on Amazon Prime, right? Yes. We cannot figure out how to turn off the written subtitles are just like in a different line. Like, we don't have subtitles on. But whenever there's like a written word on the screen, a subtitle in another language will come up. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. I don't have that, but I watch shows with subtitles and I can't figure out how to turn them on. Oh, you can't figure out how to turn them on? No, like I know where it is. Like, I will 
go to that area and be like subtitles yeah. uh, from turn it from none to English and it will not turn on. I cannot get subtitles on. I think on that maybe Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime subtitles just aren't working properly. Yeah, I think there's some issue there because it's it's really annoying. Because <laughs> actually, it's not even just that this is more like if anyone knows how to fix this problem please let us know yeah reach out, i was please. watching bob's burgers and like same thing whenever there's like something written on the screen which is actually kind of often because there's always like the burger special like it'll have like a subtitle in a different language and i actually i feel bad but i don't even know what languages it is it's not like the only written languages i kind of know are like french and english kind of know written language english so like it's not <laughs> one of those two languages so i don't know what it is but yeah, I also, I would recommend The Boys, but again, massive trigger warning. Yeah, like yeah. Any possible trigger. So if you have Amazon Prime, definitely check it out. Also, if you have Amazon Prime, drop by the Twitch and Prime subscribe. It'll, totally. break, it'll give us money <laughs> and it'll take money away from Jeff Bezos. Yes. It's my nerd adjacent musing, which I'm not going to spoil at all, so I'm like barely going to talk about it. Is Raised, Raised by Wolves. Absolutely. Nailed it. Yes. <laughs> Raised by Wolves, it's on Crave. Season one came out. It's been renewed for season two. The entire season one is out. It's a sci-fi drama TV show. It's actually, I'm just like not going to say anything about it, but I would, if you like sci-fi, I would recommend watching it. So Ridley Scott is an executive producer on it and he directed the first two episodes. I actually kind of thought that he wrote it, but he didn't. It's also, to my knowledge, not based on like a book or a comic book or like anything that already exists. It's just in the a sci-fi unique world. property. That's what I, I was trying to do some research on it today, and I couldn't find it being based on anything. And I think it's actually just written by the screenwriter who is Aaron Guzikowski. So yeah, other than that, like I'm pretty sure he has just written this, and the executive producers is like quite a few of them have just like given input and created this story on their own. Or maybe it is based on something. And in that case, please call me out on this. But I would recommend it if you like sci-fi. It's definitely something that's on my watch list. Mm. Um, I've been wanting to watch it for a bit and just haven't yet. Because I was watching The Boys. But The Boys is done now, so. Yeah. You should definitely watch it. There's, like, a lot of interesting themes in it. Which, again, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, so I don't want to get into it. But, yeah. yeah. Maggie, I'm not sure if everyone listening would have picked this up by now, but Maggie is very specific when it comes to spoilers. She, okay. has, she once got mad at one of our mutual friends for saying, I liked that episode. <laughs> She's I like, still... that's a spoiler. Or, no, it was actually said that episode was so good. And I was like... Is just... that worse? <laughs> I was like, just so you know, I consider that a spoiler. But I, I actually feel like our <laughs> listeners wouldn't get that. Because, like, on Game of Thrones, I was like, I want to talk about everything. Let's do this. Yeah, but... You don't care about spoiling things for other people. You care about spoiling things for yourself. No, I, I also... No, I know, okay. I know that. Someone but we spoil-warned. Okay. We spoil-warned. Yes, you're right, you're right. No, so I... I'm... I think it's totally different when you're like, hey, spoiler warning, we're going to talk about this because then everyone knows what's happening. I think it also just came from, like, I don't really like to watch movie trailers. Like, I'll, watch, I'll go to, when I go to the movies, I like watching trailers because it's like, in two years, this movie might be coming out in June. <laughs> so it's like, when that movie comes out, I don't remember anything about the trailer. But, like, I hate when I watch a trailer and it tells me everything about the movies or it, like, highlights all the funny parts. Or, like, it just tells me anything about the movie at all. I like going in, like, completely blind to a movie. Yeah. Do you have an opinion about Rogue One's trailer? I don't think I have seen it. So Rogue One's trailer shows a whole bunch of things that aren't in the movie. Whoa, interesting. Okay, I want to so, watch it. So, like, I now. remember people being upset when they watched it because they were like, there was this moment in the trailer that looked like it was going to be so cool that didn't exist. I, I like that. Okay, I thought you would. I actually, I like that a lot. Like, I remember when, 
I was watching season one of Game of Thrones with someone who hadn't seen it. This is just a small spoiler for season one of Game of Thrones if you have not seen it. And when the dragon eggs came to be, they were like, oh, I bet those dragon eggs are going to hatch at some point. And I just immediately was like, oh my god. Or I, I can't remember what I said, but I like shut that down. And I remember when the dragon eggs actually hatched, they were like, wow, I'm so glad you did that. I wasn't, well, they didn't, they didn't say like, wow, Maggie, thank you. You're amazing. But they were like, <laughs> oh, wow. Like, I really wasn't expecting that because you like shut that down. And I think it's good to like throw people off the scent of like what they are expecting. But that's why when people, I hate, this is actually the spoiler that I hate the most. Okay. Like, if someone is watching Harry Potter or something. Okay. And someone's like, spoiler alert, Harry Potter dies. Then I'm like, that's annoying because now I know Harry Potter doesn't die. If it's like, it's so obvious that Harry Potter dies, like, okay, that clearly means he doesn't die. Like, Harry Potter is a bad example, but if someone's watching something, they're like, spoiler alert, this person dies. It's like, well, now I know they don't. Well, so I'm just going to, like, double... Like when someone fake does you out die. and just be like, "Oh, Maggie, you just started this." Well, guess what? Voldemort dies. Okay. Anyway, that's my rant about spoiling. Awesome. Shall we call it here? Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We're happy to have you. We're happy to talk at each other with you. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. See you next time. I'm Billy. I'm Maggie. And this was Into, Into the Meepleverse. Meepleverse.